0: On this episode of Doctor Who's That, we talk about the Votan clan, Big Doctor energy, and Dodo going to a farm upstate. Welcome back to Doctor Who's That. On this episode, we'll be talking about the war machines. I am Sean Gleason, your Doctor Who expert. Joining me as always is Andy. Hello, I'm Andy. I'm your Doctor Who modern fan. And Bay. Hi, I'm Bay, and I'm your Doctor
1: Who brand spanking new fan. I've got my war helmet on, and I'm ready to go.
0: (laughs) Freshly programmed. Mm Mm-hmm. And joining us for this episode, we have Stephanie.
2: Hi, I'm Stephanie. I'm the guest and the, also a modern Who fan. Not very familiar with the originals.
0: All right. So, The War Machines aired in late June, early July of 1966. And it had the working title, The Computers.
1: <laughs> it's a lot less compelling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. With our State of the union, uh, as we've noted in the past, Ennis Lloyd and Jerry Davis were not big fans of historical stories. And with this story, they wanted to test out replacing the historicals with more contemporary stories. Uh, Ennis Lloyd also wanted to have an action thriller story, and he felt that a contemporary setting was perfect for this. Another big goal was to make the show more hip and of the moment than it had been up to this point. And one of the ways that they did this was by showing off the brand spanking new post office tower, now known as the BT Tower. Aha! Uh-huh. So from when it was being built in 1964 until 1980, it was the tallest building in the United Kingdom.
1: So it wasn't done by the time that they filmed this. It looked very new.
0: Yeah, it officially opened May 19th, 1966. And they started filming about a week after that.
3: Okay, so it was brand spanking new.
0: Yes, it was very new. Lloyd wanted to film in the actual tower. But as I said, when they were filming, it had been open for all of one week So they were denied permission to actually film in there. Something else that is brand new is the TARDIS prop. The original TARDIS prop had been completely refurbished between the film recording and the studio recording of this story. Due to the fact that they were doing more location shooting nowadays, they needed a TARDIS that was more transportable. They needed something they could just, you know, pack flat shipped to where they needed it to be and put it together. And they also lowered the height a bit so that it could be, you know, put inside places a lot easier than it used to be.
1: I'm actually kind of surprised oh. that it wasn't very mobile before.
0: Yeah, no, apparently not. However, a big problem with this refurbishing is when it was all done, they found that the roof no longer fit properly. And so for the next decade, they kind of rested it precariously on top of everything else in hopes it wouldn't collapse and, you know, kill anybody.
2: <laughs> Why would you keep that for 10 years?
0: <laughs> because its budget at this point was only around £2,750 an episode, which is about $71,000 today.
3: So they like blew like two thousand of that on the robot. Yeah.
1: (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, that's
1: that's true, but I mean, like that TARDIS can't be anything very much. Well, I was gonna say it's like got to be plywood and stuff, (laughs) right? Plywood.
2: That's what I was thinking.
1: It's like how many pounds worth of? Yeah. Exactly.
0: (laughs) I don't know, but um, you might have noticed that we only ever saw one war machine at a time. And that's because they only built one war machine. (laughs) And they switched the numbers on them? Yep, they switched out the numbers depending on, you know, whether it was war machine 9 or 10 or whatever. The director of this story wanted 10 war machines and was told, no, sorry, you can't have that. So I guess one is a reasonable compromise. But yeah, Ennis Lloyd was planning a big spectacle story for next season, and he wanted to save as much money up as possible for that. So yeah, any money that could be saved anywhere, he was doing it. And so this one came in somewhat under budget just for that reason. You can have no. tank
1: treads, but they are not allowed to rotate. Yeah.
0: So some of the important people who we have in the story... Our director is a guy named Michael Ferguson and his claim to fame is that he was the guy who held the plunger for the Daleks during their first appearance. So when you have that plunger that is threatening Barbara, that was this guy the director.
3: <laughs> was he the director at the time or was he just like a dedicated plunger guy?
0: Yep, he was just a de- he was just a random production assistant. I tell you what <laughs> If I, were, if I were
1: him and on the con circuit, I would just be signing plungers and handing them out left <laughs> and right. That
0: would be great. And this is the first of four stories that he directed for the show. Uh, we have no original music in this one, but we do have a odd opening sequence. It has its own specific opening sequence for this story. Which was designed by Bernard Lodge, Lodge, the same guy who makes the show's regular opening. So,
1: was anybody else getting oh, okay. kind of like James Bond type vibes or something? It's very mod, nineteen sixties.
2: Yeah, I one of my notes was that opening slapped. I loved it. I thought it was so cool.
1: <laughs> no,
3: and it was a little. It seemed like it was a little different each time too, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean they definitely it changed it? Yeah. the
0: numbers, and I think that things moved around in a different way. Yeah, I think
1: at least one point you get like a photo negative of it, mm-hmm. like it's it's like black on flashing. white, and then white on black.
0: Yeah, I mean they were definitely you know going for a contemporary sort of probably a James Bondish type thing.
2: It almost looks like it's printing, like flashing, and then printing out the mm-hmm. the titles. It's
0: Dot cool. Matrix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what now? What year was this again? This was sixty six.
3: Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so yeah, that's right around the right time because that font is known as um, at least it, I, th- I think it, I think that's what it looked like. It looks like um, OCRA, which is a um, you know one of the first um, like computer readable fonts.
1: That's for optical character recognition.
3: Yeah, that's correct. It's and you know it's got like thinner and thicker segments so that it's like easier for you know machines of the time to identify it. Is this the same that's...
1: that you would see on, like, a
0: check, right?
3: Right. Yep, that's exactly right. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, this has been font-cast. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's a show within a show. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's interesting. Especially, I, It makes sense, given the story.
3: It would have been very new at the time, actually. Mm-hmm. So
0: Yeah, and they were going for cutting edge, or as much as, you know, 2,700 pounds an episode can get.
1: You know, I Mm -hmm. wonder if the computer had taken over the British banking system, if it wouldn't have been more successful.
0: Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, somebody else involved here is a guy named Kit Peddler, who is given a based on an idea by credit.
3: I'm sorry, what was his name?
0: Kit Peddler. (laughs) Which is, yes, now that I'm saying it, is an awful-sounding name. (laughs) That's great. I mean, his
1: parents had a good sense of humor.
0: (laughs) So, Kit Pedler was the head of the electron microscopy department at the Institute of Ophthalmology at the University of London. He was a contributor to a number of BBC science programs, And he had a particular interest in the direction that medicine was going and the problems of how it's changing nature might affect and endanger human life. And he also had an interest in villainous computers run by an evil reductivist kind of logic. So he got to explore that interest here. And he'll explore some of the other one in some upcoming stories. Oh, I'm going to look into Kit Peddler. This sounds like a very interesting guy. Oh, yeah. He got involved in Doctor Who because Innis Lloyd and Jerry Davis wanted a scientific advisor to help ground the show more in science and reality, and they sent letters out to a number of scientists around London, though only a handful of people responded. All of the respondees were interviewed, and they were all asked the question, what would happen if the post office tower were taken over? And Peddler was the only one out of all of them to come up with a creative answer. He suggested that it would be done by a rogue computer that communicated via the telephone system. (laughs) I just imagine him being like,
3: this is what I've been waiting for. I can (laughs) tell the world about my
2: theory. (laughs) My fan fiction comes to life.
1: But, you know, like, this is actually... Pretty cutting edge stuff that we hadn't even gotten into, like, all of the phone freaking, like, early hacker stuff that was going on. I mean, like, this was a couple decades before that, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, so Peddler was offered the job. And his answer, obviously, was developed into this story. Um, but, yeah, he'd end up forming a bit of a partnership with Jerry Davis He'd write two scripts with Davis and one more on his own and submitted outlines for several more. And later, the two of them would co-create a show called Doom Watch.
1: (laughs) Sounds awesome. (laughs) That's a cool name.
0: So uh, he died in 1981 of a heart attack while completing production on a show on the paranormal that was called Mind Over Matter related to a book that he wrote on psychic phenomena that had the same name. So yeah, seems like he was a bit of an interesting guy.
2: Yeah, we need a show all about him. That's quite a career
0: path. <laughs> you know, it's,
1: it sounds like a, a budget Michael Crichton or something like that.
3: I was gonna say it's like if they, somebody had like, like been like, "Hey, Neil deGrasse Tyson, like, what's the weirdest dream you've ever had?"
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and we'll make a show all about it. You know. <laughs>
0: As Pedler was a scientist and not a writer, his concept was given to a BBC staff writer named Pat Dunlop, but then Dunlop had to drop out after writing the initial draft for the first episode. So they were scrambling to get the story written and ready to go while producing the last story, and Davis went to the writer of the last story, Ian Stewart Black, And said, hey, uh, would you mind writing this one as well? So Black said, sure. And it gives us the first time where we have a writer credited for back-to-back stories. He was also told to write in a new companion named Rich, who the doctor and Dodo would meet at a nightclub. During writing, the decision was made to remove Dodo as well. And introduce a completely new team to fit a hip, swinging '60s type of vibe.
1: So, what's funny to me about this is that Dodo herself was supposed to be like the new hip, right? The '60s character.
0: Yeah, but that was, you know, new and hip and 60s in the mind of John Wiles, which basically means that she was a useless child with no real personality or character.
1: Well, but every time that she did try to express her personality and character, the doctor was like, please don't say it that way.
0: Yeah, exactly. So... dodo failed primarily because of john wiles just like a lot of other things Uh, but yeah while they were writing all this rich became ben and they decided to have a slightly older female companion than what we've had recently maybe not in terms of actual actress age but at least in terms of character age
1: i didn't get the sense that she was particularly older than dodo
0: She'd be at least in her 20s while Dodo's supposed to be a teenager. (laughs) So our cast members, we have Annika Wills, who plays Polly, and she was born in 1941, started getting TV roles in 1954 at 13 as a child actress, and she'd been on plenty of TV shows and had plenty of roles by the time she was on Doctor Who. In fact, she had previously been considered for the role of Susan, but for whatever reason, didn't end up auditioning. At this time, she was married to the actor Michael Goh, who you might remember as the Celestial Toymaker a few stories uh. back, and, you know, Alfred in the 1980s Batman movie. And she met the cast and crew while he was filming that story. And since he enjoyed his time on the show... She decided when the role of Polly came up, eh, why not audition? And she ended up getting it. Also up for the part was an actress named Deborah Watling, who was rejected for being too young at this point, though we will see her a bit down the road. Annika Wills is still alive and she is a regular at conventions. So yeah, I've seen, seen her a few times and met her and stuff.
1: Oh, this says hmm. good things about, like, her staying power, though. I mean, probably not just going to, like, be sucked out into space <laughs> in the next episode.
0: That's what you th- no. said, <laughs> <laughs> And our other new, ca- new character is Ben, played by Michael Craze. Uh, he was born in 1942 and got into acting at the age of 12 after accidentally learning that he could sing while he was in the Boy Scouts is that a badge say he got into tv and he'd also done plenty of work by this point including on a sci-fi show called uh target luna which was created by sydney newman creator of doctor who he beat out an actor named fraser hines for the role of ben who's another actor who we'll see again in the near future And while Michael was working on the show, he met his future wife, Edwina, who was a floor manager for Doctor Who. So this story, as you may have noticed, exists. It is pretty (laughs) much exists in its entirety. Uh, The master tapes of this story were destroyed. They were the last Hartnell stories to be junked in March 1974. And the film copies were the last to be destroyed in 1978, just days before the BBC stopped junking things. So you must wonder, how does this exist? Well, in 1978, a collector in Australia was found to have episode two, which eventually got back to the BBC. And copies of the rest of the episodes were found in Nigeria in 1984. Some of it had cuts, which were mostly filled in with Australian censor clips, and, um, th- but there are still a few pieces missing here and there. Uh, episode three is missing a brief visual and about a minute of the battle scene, and episode four is missing a few moments here and there, but for the most part, the story is complete.
1: It doesn't really hit you while you are watching
0: it. Yeah, no, no, even knowing this, I was looking for those bits and I didn't notice. So
1: wait, why? Why were there cuts? Is this like a Nigerian censorship by the government or something?
0: No, I mean in various places, part, portions had been um, cut, especially like Australia. There, they is where a lot of the censor clips come from, and actually a lot the, Australia had this weird policy where they kept the stuff that was cut, but might end up selling or junking the actual episodes. So a lot of episodes where you have like just a few surviving moments are actually the Australian censor clips. Huh. (laughs) So the stuff that they cut out is the stuff that ended up surviving.
2: Which I still would have to wonder, what?
1: Needed to be
2: censored, part of
1: it. like what? I mean, well, if it's the battles, maybe they're too violent. Yeah, it's yeah, moments maybe.
0: of violence usually okay. that they're cutting. Uh, also, note this is the last fully complete story that we'll see until season five. So, oh, wow. season four is the most um missing season with only like 10 out of 40 episodes in existence.
1: Oh. Johnny, this is
0: going to be rough. But most of those have been animated. Oh, that's
1: cool. Yep. But I do feel bad for our new companions there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true.
4: You know, there's something alien about that tower. I can scent it. Now Smells okay to me. Good old London. I, 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 can, I can feel it, it. It's got something uh, sort of powerful. It, look at my skin. Look at that. I've got that freaking sensation. That sensation again, the same... Just as I had when I thought the Daleks, whose Daleks were near. Daleks? Who
0: are they? So, let us move on to talking about these episodes. And now that we are through with our episode titles, we'll just go to episode one. The War Machines, part one. So, uh, the Doctor and Dodo land in the strangest, most unexpected place possible. 1966 London. Okay, so this had to be, a, like, a huge deal, right?
1: It's the season finale. They were filming all over London. I'm assuming they were actually filming out on the streets and stuff. A few times, yeah. That's got to be drawing an enormous crowd.
0: Possibly. I'm not sure how if people were there, you know, watching the filming or what. But, yeah, I'm sure that some people would have been watching it.
2: I, I loved I. That gave me the first hint of like almost the modern series type feel to it where we're plopped down in a a live place and not inside a room somewhere. That, That was fun.
1: Yeah. So already from the very beginning of the episode, first of all, it says episode one of The War Machines. You know, the switch has been flipped in my brain. Oh, yeah. We're not getting individual episode titles anymore. We've got this weird font. And then the camera kind of like flies over a modern scene, which we don't get a lot of those, right? Like mm-hmm. there's some interesting stuff going on right from the bat that just kind of tells you this is a very different serial from what we've seen up until now. I don't want to like be too spoilery, but this was a weird one. I thought this <laughs> was a, a like a strange serial, at least in relation to what we've seen so far. And you're hit with it, like, immediately.
0: Yeah, I mean, two people who would have been watching this in 1966, yeah, it's very different from what they've seen before on this show.
1: Not different bad. If this is the shape of things to come, it could be very interesting. It's just, it was unexpected.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, the doctor, hoping to avoid kidnapping yet another stupid human, puts an out-of-order sign on the TARDIS with a great impish look as he does so. And as he explains why he's doing this, a cop walks up to the phone box, reads the sign, and continues on his way.
3: Potential origins of psychic paper, perhaps? Yeah.
0: Dodo, for her part, is happy to once again experience the good old London smog. And despite the fact that they landed in Bedford Place, one of the few areas in that part of London from where you cannot possibly see the post office tower, (laughs) they notice that the new tower has been finished. And the doctor senses something weird and alien about it because apparently he gets a prickling sensation now. Just like when he ran into those phthalics.
1: Yeah, they point out, and I'd kind of forgotten, to be honest, like, Dodo hadn't met them. Yeah. And she re- refers to them as Daleks, which I thought was kind of funny since, like, their enemies in that initial episode were the Tals. Huh? Yeah,
0: that is true. So the doctor decides that he wants to take a look. He bluffs his way into the computer lab at the top of the tower and meets the guy in charge, Dr. Brett. Who explains about his creation, Votan, the will operating thought analog, and that it's the most advanced computer in the world?
2: This is another place where I noted it's. It reminds me of kind of the you know the later modern episodes where you never trust the computer robot mechanical. Yeah. android whatever that's like you're warning oh that's gonna be a problem already
1: <laughs> i mean my my initial thought upon being introduced to Wotanis: is a somebody really liked the ring cycle <laughs> and second of all whoever named this thing is the same kind of person who named the tardis you know like you gotta <laughs> name it and then come up f- with the reason we're naming it that <laughs>
0: Botan is designed to link up to computers all around the world and solve any problem. It's supposed to become the brain for all the linked government computers throughout the world. So that sounds like a great idea.
1: I don't even know that much about computers. And it's pretty obvious that this is like Skynet waiting to happen. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so uh, Dr. Brett introduces his assistant, Polly who's pretty smart, a cracking typist, and rather cheeky at times. And he immediately insults her by saying that Votan can think and type better than her and never makes mistakes.
4: Here's one you'll never get. What does the word TARDIS mean? Doctor? Well, what does it say, my dear? Got it right time and relative dimensions in space good heavens let me see well now how would it know that
0: dodo and the doctor test votan out a bit and they're shocked when it answers dodo's question correctly what does tardis mean there is absolutely no way
1: <laughs> no way in what is our rating on this podcast h g double hockey sticks <laughs> that it would ever possibly be able to guess what TARDIS means without, like, having read the script. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, got to store the script somewhere. (laughs) Well, I mean, the doctor does ask it. I can't remember if it was a doctor or Dodo, but somebody asks it a math problem.
3: Yeah. The doctor, yes, like the square root of something or other and says, oh,
1: that's close enough. But I mean, like, that definitely is the sort of thing that it would be easy for a computer to do. So I thought asking it something that would need a little bit more creativity would definitely be a good way to test a computer like this. There's no, no snowball's chance in hell that this thing would be able to properly guess TARDIS.
3: Right. And even if you, like, subscribe to, like, the theories of, like all the, the kind of uh, hand-wringing about, like, AI super intelligences and stuff. Like, there's just, there's no information that it, <laughs> it could have even used, you know? It's like, oh, this guy, he walks strangely and seems to have more knowledge about math than other people in the room. Well, that must mean he's <laughs> a time traveler. And then, uh, no, yeah.
0: I guess some computer somewhere in the world has that information stored on it. You
1: know, that's true. At the BBC. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Dodo starts complaining that she has a weird buzzing in her ears, but that goes away, and Brett volunteers Polly to look after her. Uh, Dodo decides that she wants to visit the hottest night spot in town, which Polly declares to be the Inferno.
1: Anybody else start singing Disco Inferno? <laughs> Is just me? No, but
3: I did think it was really funny how she's like, oh, my ears are ringing, and Polly's like, let's just go get tore up. Yeah, yeah that's good <laughs> let's go to a nightclub. That's that's good for your
0: Look, Polly's yeah, just right. being cheeky.
3: I mean, she's no good at typing, right? She might yeah. as well just get out of there.
0: So Polly and Dodo go clubbing, and they run into Ben Jackson, an overly serious sailor. Cheeky Polly messes with him a bit, trying to cheer him up, and shows us, yep, she is indeed rather cheeky. I mean, they're trying to hit on him, right? <laughs> As much hitting on as you can in 1966 television. On a a kid's show, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, poor Ben is upset because he's stuck on a short posting for the next half year. The horror. But he just brushes off Polly's cheekiness and she decides, you know, that's it, time to go. And some random 60s bloke blocks their way telling Polly to try him and just generally harassing her. Ben decides to intervene. There's a bit of a tussle and uh, he finally drives 60s guy away. And then does some victim blaming, telling Polly to be careful who she encourages. Yeah, Thanks, she Ben. she
2: encouraged him by bumping into him. By existing
1: the- as a woman. <laughs> yes. yeah. So, like, what I know about Ben now is that he's a, set, a heterosexual male in the 60s uh, and that he's Action Man for our serial. <laughs>
3: yeah. But he's, like, sensitive, sullen, action man. Oh, yeah. He's kind of
1: you know? dour, isn't he? yeah. He he grows out of it a little.
0: Well, Polly responds to Ben's sexism by calling him a conceited little, but Dodo cuts her off because she finds Ben charming. Oh, Dodo.
4: But, sir, I mean, is this kind of risky? I mean, uh, suppose it decides it can do without people. What then?
0: (laughs) So while Polly and Dodo are hitting the clubs, the doctor goes to the Votan press conference, where there's a speaker, Dr. Charles Summer, who is explaining that in four days' time, on Monday, July 16th, all the computers in the world will be under Votan's control. Now, help me
1: out here. So, this guy is both a doctor and is he a lord or something like that?
0: That's what it seems. Okay. He
2: is almost, to me, he was almost just the caricature of stuffy British upper crust. Yeah. Just every, every, the way he talked, it it was just ridiculous.
1: (laughs) It was, it was kind of surprising because at first I thought he was a simple scientist like Dr. Brett, who we already met. But then he also seems to have like some political sway, which I guess you'd have to have if Wotan was like getting connected to government computers and that sort he of
3: seemed thing. to come out of nowhere too didn't he like yeah. i mean like i thought he was kind of like it, it it felt very mycroft e you know like <laughs> like he was kind of or or he's like you know the kind of stand like um you know oh hell oh it's it's chinston wurchell the yeah. you know, <laughs> official man right or something like that but who is that guy like i mean like i i I have seen snippets of like you know, kinda like mid later Doctor Who and like, you know, the the the, the brigadier kind of situation. I was like, okay, is this someone the Doctor has worked before with before? Is that explained or did I miss it? Because to me it was just like some okay.
0: Yeah, no, he's just some How does he know these people? He's the doctor. He's just like, hey, I'm the doctor.
3: I think that would have been so cool if they like <laughs> tried to like kind of establish just like that random like him threaded through the history of the government backstory thing. But no, it's just like, oh look, an old man on the street. Let's bring him to the most important computer in the world. <laughs> yeah,
0: he's right? good like... at bluffing his way into things, I guess. Well, but th- but this is what I-
1: so like we introduce Sir uh, Summer, right? And I just love this uh, this press conference because it goes immediately where I already had been. The moment we met, Wotan, it, the first question that he gets is like, "Isn't this like a really bad
0: situation that you are walking
1: <laughs> yeah. us into? Should we rethink this?" I know
3: it's like the the that's some, like some sharp like acumen, yeah, on the press there, but like, and then he's just like, "Eh,
0: it's great." <laughs> it's great. I mean, hey, Ch- Sir Charles. What if Wotan decides it has no use for people? And never mind. It'll be fine. Well, which
3: actually is really is really prescient because I mean, like, I don't mean to nerd out too much, but that's like kind of the heart of a lot of like uh, the debate on machine learning legislation today and like research. Is like, should we be thinking about this stuff? And people trying to like, you know, jet really actual like futurist work and computer science going into figuring out like how real these kind of problems like could be and it's it's kind of funny how we've kind of come full circle. Also, is it at the top of the tower?
0: Is that the implication? The computer is at the top of the tower, yes.
3: Yeah, that's the other thing too. Like they're like, "All right, we're going to make a central like computer to control everything in the world. Let's go ahead and run all of that cable up like 30 <laughs> or 40 stories." <laughs>
0: To the tallest building of the United Kingdom,
3: because a computer <laughs> needs a good view. Yeah, you know, I, was like, I just didn't that I did not get at all.
1: You get a better signal. <laughs> oh, that's actually a, a decent idea. I was like, we got to increase this thing's potential energy as much as we possibly can.
3: Yeah, I mean, like especially back then, like engi- the engineering behind, like like those cables. I mean, they would have been Beefy. thick. Like, yeah. it would have been, yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll stop. (laughs) An issue that this speech does give us is that when he says Monday, July 16th, in 1966, that date was on a Saturday, and it wouldn't be on a Monday until 1973. So it kind of creates dating problems. So it's like, what if they're from 1973? But future stories establish that they're from 1966.
3: Hmm you're like the goofs section of imdb right now i know (laughs) i am like downvoting this so hard right now it's like in the prior scene uh the doctor is seen with black shoes but uh, black shoes did not exist in february of 1954 like you know it's
0: like i hope somebody got fired for that blunder (laughs) <laughs> I thought what you were going to say
1: is that this aired after July 16th and everybody no. was like, whatever.
3: <laughs> oh.
2: <laughs> that didn't happen.
3: Wait a minute. They said Friday, but today's Sunday. Ooh. Like, you know.
0: <laughs> well, actually, episode four did in fact air on July 16th. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well.
3: Well, now I feel really stupid. Okay.
1: <laughs> To be fair to this scene, I think the the most important thing that it establishes is like the ticking clock for this yes, serial. Definitely. We know that we sure, only have yeah. like four days, and probably each episode is gonna be another day in that countdown.
3: Screenwriting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So back at the lab. Professor Brett is talking to Major Green, who I guess is in charge of security at the tower. Uh, Brett is convinced that somebody has been watching him all day. After Green leaves, we get some hypnotic swirlies.
2: I love the hypnotic swirlies.
0: <laughs> Me too. I I did
3: not think. I, I, I saw them and I was like, oh, here we go. And then I was just like, I like this. Why do I like this?
0: I don't understand. But I did. <laughs> You fell victim to the hypnotic swirlies. My God. No, I tell you what I fell
3: victim to. Overzealous suspension of disbelief that's what i feel victim to and that happens to me so if it's like within my wheelhouse right and like you know i you know spoiler alert i'm a i'm a programmer in real life like i was just like oh yeah that's right you know if uh, a hyperintelligence that's very interesting it could modulate electronic wa- uh, you know electromagnetic waves and and like you know similar to um, transcranial magnetic stimulation i mean this could work this could you know and, oh i'm it's bad
1: <laughs> Well, this the serial had some like really interesting sound mixing. Mm-hmm. Like I thought the like humming or Wotan's voice, which to this point, I don't think we've heard, but um, not we yet. may we may hear pretty soon.
2: I said I wrote on my notes that it sounded kind of like a number station. It mm. reminded me a lot of the computer speak oh. and Wotan speak was kind of creepy
3: like that i don't remember when number stations like started but like i can i can i bet you anything that like kit peddler was like if he'd have known about him he'd have been into him <laughs> right like, I, I, his, like that seems like his bag right so mm-hmm. yeah it was mm-hmm. pretty cool
0: so yeah um brett gets hypnotized and asks votan what it wants back at the inferno Uh, Dodo, Ben, and Polly have been dancing, and Dodo complains that that headache has uh, come back.
2: Nightclub didn't help that, huh? Nope.
0: (laughs) You would have thought, right? And she decides to take a rest as Ben and Polly continue their dancing. Brett stiffly wanders into into the press conference, where rather than actually conferencing with the press... He insists that he needs to speak with another professor, Crimpton, and the two go off to talk. So, like, Crimpton comes out of nowhere.
1: But also, I was just, like, surprised at the audacity of the dude who doesn't show up to his own press conference (laughs) gets there and tells everybody to get the heck out. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Everyone must leave. The computer is fine. Go away. (laughs) 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 Like, And nobody was just like... I've seen this before.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I guess nobody had seen a computer take over people yet. That couldn't happen. Shawnee and I actually
1: watched it together uh, with some other folks who were were commenting at the same time. Um, And one of them had said, oh, is this a Dalek's or is this a Dalek's origin story? And I was like... Now, this first of all, this definitely isn't the Daleks, but it was like kind of an interesting thought because we have seen the Daleks mind control folks in their invasion of Earth. It was a little bit different, you know, but uh, I don't know. I, th- I think that there's some Dalek DNA in this story. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like the war machine itself Is Dalek-esque.
2: The design of it is very reminiscent,
0: just without a hideous octopus inside.
2: You're right.
3: Well, and they, you know, I also happened to notice that they share a similar affinity for uh, wire cages on the end of sticks that fog comes out of. (laughs) (laughs) So, as as a primary like offensive weapon. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I thought I thought it was going to be a Cyberman origin story Mm. myself. Which I, it's got to be any day now, right? I seem to remember <laughs> reading Once Upon a Time that it's this season, so like...
0: Well, this is the last story of season three, so guess not. Oh,
3: damn. Yeah, I was just, I was sure it's it's like somewhere around this time period though, so it's like how many like angry machines are you going <laughs> to cram into like three or four seasons in one show, but you know.
1: It's funny because I'm supposed to have no prior knowledge, but I definitely have seen a Cyberman before. And I know that they're coming and it's still in black and white. So I, I've, I've also been waiting.
3: Watch it be like next episode or something. <laughs> like, come on, guys.
1: Well, <laughs> I, I remember seeing a clip once where Shawnee was, you know, introducing folks to Doctor Who. And I seem to remember it moving. So yeah.
0: something tells me it won't come in season four either. Well, what I'll tell you. Nah, I won't say anything.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, don't say anything. I want to see if I'm right. Next episode, season (laughs) four, episode one, Cybermen. I'm calling it now. (laughs) I'm calling it.
0: We will see Cybermen in black and white at some point. (laughs) How's that? All right.
3: Okay. All right. Oh, also, I was really surprised also that, like, given this story, I was really, like, given what you just told me, I'm really surprised, like, we didn't have, like, a kit peddler, like, self-insertion, like, some guy that, like, comes to the press conference is like, no, no, I've been trying to tell you, <laughs> like, I know I'm an entomologist, but seriously, yeah. you know? And, like, him getting, like, thrown out, but, like, coming back later to save the day and then making out with, like, the hottest woman in the credits roll, And the doctor's not even there. And it's, like, written, produced, starring, music composed no, by Kit Peddler.
1: No, the, 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 the doctor shows up and it's like, you know, you might be the best person I've ever met. And it just like goes Pit to Peddler. credits. Yes.
3: Yes. Dr. Peddler season four. Yeah.
0: <laughs> So, yep, the uh, doctor talks with Sir Charles, and they wonder about the odd way that Brett was acting. And Charles wonders, is something wrong with Votan? Back at the lab, Major Green has been taken over by Votan, and he makes a phone call to Dodo at the Inferno Club. Dodo's given the phone, goes blanker than usual, and then gets up and walks out of the club. You know what's a wild idea?
3: Calling a young girl at a...
0: No, getting yes. getting a phone call on a landline at a
1: business. Yeah.
2: At a public space.
1: <laughs> it just tells me how far we've come, like, here in the 21st century. It's like, oh, yeah, businesses, they had landlines, and people might actually try and reach you there.
3: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like it, it's the classic Simpsons gag. I mean, am yeah. I right? Like Bart Simpson calling the bar and like messing with people, and yet like it's virtually gone. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a distant memory.
1: I'm just saying, my son is gonna be like, "What is that thing he's using?"
3: <laughs> your son now. Nah, your son's gonna be like, "What are stores?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> your son's gonna be like, "What is outside?" People, oh
3: yeah. No. Like, hang out like <laughs> together. So what, is, what is that? That's weird. Isn't that how you get COVID? Yeah. yeah, exactly.
2: I mean, as an old person, I'm 50. So I remember when my parents would go out, they would leave us the phone number or the name of the restaurant they were going to in case we had to call them at the restaurant in an emergency. It's such a strange concept anymore.
0: Yeah.
1: But the idea of using like some auditory Manchurian candidate trigger... In a noisy nightclub is kind of wild. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that is true that uh, she was even able to hear what was being said to her. We have failed. We've reached a standstill. We cannot develop the Earth any further. Further progress is impossible. What do you mean, impossible?
4: That is the conclusion reached by Wotan.
0: So, back at the tower, Crimpton is asking Brett what's wrong and is told that, uh, you know, Wotan's not broken. It's humanity that's broken. Votan has determined that further progress is impossible with humanity running things. So we are to serve Votan or be eliminated. And Crimpton 2 gets the swirly by Votan.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I I, I, I enjoyed that. I, I can't remember. I do remember throughout the episode, like various, um, machiney kind of like modem-y noises and whirring and whatnot uh i can't remember though did like they did they like the in-person wotan swirlies also have that kind of like modem noise does anybody recall
1: when it when it's talking do you mean
3: because you know like it gets it gets them over the phone but it also gets you if like you're in the same room and that's like when you get like the swirlies and stuff and i was just yeah. wondering if they use that same sound because what's interesting to me is like uh you know the modem was invented in like the 50s right so mm-hmm. like modems were around so, like, somebody actually, like, went out and got some modemy sounds, hmm. which I thought I think is kind of cool. Like, this is how computers talk.
1: I mean, I always just thought computers would tell you you've got mail. <laughs> you've <Yeah>. got mail.
0: <laughs> so, back at the club, uh, Ben and Polly are wondering, where's Dodo? And uh, they wonder if Dodo left without them. Ben doesn't think so, because she seemed like a nice bird, not stuck up like you, Duchess. And then the doctor arrives, completely confusing everyone, when this weird old man comes into the hottest nightclub in town. Kitty the bartender does dig his fab gear.
2: Yeah, I I wrote down. She said he looks like that disc jockey, and I was like, "What is she talking about? <laughs> is this something that we should know?" I, I was like, "I don't understand that reference at all."
1: I don't know. Just throw in a bunch of weird nineteen sixties gobbledygook. That's.
3: It's got to have been something, right? Like, yeah. like if you know, in fifty years' time, some you know, we, you know, we make a reference to like. I I don't know the Kardashians or something <laughs> in the show, and they're like, Who did they
0: just make that up? You know, the Kardashians, you mean those Star Trek people?
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like the, the War of the Dominion hadn't even been invented in the 60s. There,
1: there, sometimes there are headlines kind of like this, you know, like ones that exist now, but 10 years ago, nobody would have an idea what they're talking about, and 10 years yes. from now, nobody's gonna have an idea what they're talking about, like blockchain is a big nothing burger yeah (laughs) i don't i don't know (laughs) yeah i don't know we'll probably still be talking about blockchain in 10 years but i don't know
0: all right just give me a second because spock has minimized everything on my computer
3: (laughs) we should probably cut that out anyway like how much time do we really want to spend on a toss-off reference to a disc jockey
0: Holly lets the doctor know that she's misplaced as Dodo. Dodo arrives at the lab, becoming the fourth member of the Votan clan. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And Brett lets us know that Votan needs one special human brain. And then Votan speaks, saying, Doctor Who is required. It's more like
1: Doctor Who is required.
3: I do have a bit of a confession. I w- I watched like I was a little behind, so I watched the first couple episodes at t- twice speed and it was just like Doctor Who's required. <laughs>
0: I was like this is great. Also note that wo- in the credits, Wotan is given a on-screen credit, which is the only time that a fictional entity gets an on-screen credit on the show. But it's
1: just like for the voice acting, right?
0: No, I think it's like Wotan as himself or something.
3: Oh, that's so good. Okay. Yeah, so we didn't credit like our anonymous giggler from before.
0: <laughs> so we move on to episode two. So Brett tells everybody else that progress is impossible unless Wotan takes full control in the next few days. After that, the computer will decide who will live to serve and who gets eliminated.
1: Yeah, we, we quickly get a rundown of his like entire grand plan, right? Yeah. He's going to take over London, Washington, and Moscow. And like I don't know, as a, a modern viewer, you're like, oh, yeah. Right in the thick of the Cold War here. Yeah. uh, And the great power competition. So they want to like establish, I think, labor camps, which, you know, has a very post war, creepy, you know, fascist vibe to it. They're going to generate, like, they're going to construct some mobile computers, it sounded like. So, you know, maybe a little Wotan
3: running around. Right. And that's when I was like, oh, this is totally the Cybermen and i was just to totally wrong.
1: Well, when when he was saying mobile computers are these just the war machines cuz i was under the impression like the war machines were going to have like some command and control complex. But, you know, we we don't get very much further than that. Were we t- discussing a phase that we never actually reached?
0: It's possible i don't recall if he specifically says and construct war machines or if that's what he was talking oh, about. Oh, he definitely
1: there. says they're going to construct some war machines. Okay, then it might
0: be a he phase says that, that later, they didn't get. But to. like,
1: yeah.
3: Like I will say this, like the the volatile storage on the war machine cannot be that large because um Well, is, they're not really good at making war, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> they're <laughs> like, not good at making love we'll, either. No. <laughs> love me.
0: <laughs> Blank Crimpton. he's the one who's supposed to program them. But of course, their top priority is enlisting Doctor Who because Doctor Who is required. That is said many times, Doctor Who is required. Which is
3: never like, that's the other thing too. Like they, they couldn't, there was like so much potential for that, I feel. Like, you know, there's some history or it knows something about him or it like, I dug through the historical records and blah, blah, blah. But you know, doesn't seem to nope. really like ever... But okay. That
1: definitely would have been a lot more interesting. Here's the other thing they establish Wotan as like a computer that is never wrong, right? It's like Mm -hmm. supposed to be smarter than everybody. Why does it need an old man
0: that it met (laughs) for like five minutes? An old man whose name it can't even get right. Yeah, I know.
4: You know, Doctor, those two have gone up in the wrong direction. The taxes are all down there. Well, Chair, are you sure, my dear? I've just seen three go past. They're coming. We can pick up Polly when we find her. Oh, very well, my dear.
0: So back at the club, uh, the doctor, Ben and Polly, get kicked out since it's closing time. And Polly wants to phone the hospitals, which gets a derisive comment from Ben about how she's a regular little ray of sunshine. And then Dodo wanders in. Dodo says that she got a call from some old friends and she just, you know, popped by to see them and apologizes for worrying them. So outside, Ben and Polly go to get a cab for the doctor as he's heading to see Sir Charles. Dodo, while they're gone, attempts to lead them to where a couple men are waiting to grab him. But before they get there, Ben pulls up in a taxi.
1: It was funny because like when she first shows up, I halfway thought it was going to be like one of these out of body experiences. Like she didn't realize where she'd gone. But there's definitely something sinister going on i think i said it at the time uh shawnee but i couldn't help but feel a little cheated that it seems like the best acting from this actress was here in these final episodes with her yeah i mean like i i I thought she's like fairly menacing
0: yeah no she did a good job of playing the um hypnotized evil dodo
1: but also like kind of sinister right yeah
0: There's some business here about a homeless guy who can't pay, but, you know, that gets taken care of, and she makes plans to meet up with Ben later, and she, Dodo, and the doctor head off. Ben asks the homeless guy if he needs a place to spend the night, but he's got a nice place in a nearby warehouse, which, unfortunately for him, is also where the attempted kidnappers are heading. He wants to
1: DOS their And as far as I'm aware, that's just an operating system.
0: (laughs) Andy's shaking his head. Nope. Nope. It's fine. This is all fine. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Brett's in the warehouse giving orders about how to construct the war machines, saying that they must be built and armed by the morning. A computer beeps and Brett announces that there's a stranger in the warehouse who must be destroyed. The homeless guy tries to run. There's a chase which ends in a scream. So ding for our homeless guy. And work resumes.
4: Don't be alarmed, Doctor. This is a method of establishing contact. Time is very short. Construction has already begun. You are needed. What happened? It's all right, Doctor. You are now one of us. My function was to bring you in contact. Now I shall serve as an assistant.
5: Oh, what are you talking about?
0: Later at Sir Charles's office, the doctor's reading an article, tramp found dead. Oh my god, which sets off some alarm bells for him. Uh, Sir Charles meanwhile talks about some scientists that just resigned without warning, and Polly arrives at Sir Charles's office ready to work to Charles's complete confusion. Polly apparently was told by Major Green that she wasn't needed at uh, the post office tower and that she should go to work for Sir Charles instead. Dodo comes in, kind of just brushes Polly off, and suggests that since Sir Charles' computer expert suddenly resigned and all, the doctor should probably talk to Professor Brett if he wants to learn more about computer stuff. Isn't she, like... Don't you have work to do or something <laughs> yeah. like that. The doctor's like, I want to see the sights. And she's like, nah, you want to work, doctor. And, you know, since Dodo's kindly telling him that he has lots of business to do down at the business factory, the doctor decides, you know what? You're right. And places a phone call to Dr. Brett. The call is directed straight to Votan, and the doctor begins to convulse in pain as Votan tries to swirly him. As Sir Charles rushes to get him water, Dodo assures him, everything's going to be fine now that you're one of us. This is just the method of establishing contact. However, the doctor very clearly is not one of them. (laughs) He's able to shake it off. He's still a bit out of it, but he thinks at this point in time that there's something wrong with the phone. But he soon realizes, no, the problem's not with the phone. It's with Dodo and with Brett's lab.
1: I mean, even if he did believe that, Dodo's behavior immediately afterward should tell him something's up.
0: Right, he's like, hey, stay there.
3: And and boy, does she. Like, she stays right there. It's like, uh, don't act creepy. Okay, yeah, she's, yeah.
0: (laughs) Don't act creepy. Now, have a personality. Well, she can't do that one.
4: Yes, I think she'll sleep for 48 hours. And when she wakes, I want absolute peace and quiet for her. Do you understand?
5: Are you sure, she's all right.
4: Oh, yes, she's all right. Me. She could go down to my house
0: in the country. My wife will look after her.
4: Yes, it's a very fine thing. Yes, and take care of her, won't you? Indeed I will.
0: So he realizes that she's been hypnotized and starts deprogramming her, putting her into a sleep that she'll wake from in a couple days' time. So Sir Charles sends her off to a nice house in the country and (laughs) she disappears. Yeah. (laughs) She disappears becoming Sir Will Never Appear on the show again.
3: Ugh, it's almost like another last goodbye. It
2: was so weird.
1: (laughs) Shawnee, since you didn't mention it, did she know she had to have known?
0: What that she that this was her last story or episode? Yeah. Yeah, no. She was told that they were probably going to write her out sooner, ra- sooner rather than later, way back during the filming of the arc. Hmm. So she uh, okay. knew since like her first story that she was going probably her contract probably wasn't going to get extended.
2: But just the way they unceremoniously were just like she yeah. had
0: a 19 episode contract, and this was episode 19. <laughs>
3: yeah, I just, I was just, it's really, it's <laughs> like the writers just didn't give a. Sh- <laughs> yeah, it's just like, well, thanks for nineteen episodes. You are sick in the countryside. Pfft, you know Don't that's it.
0: The door
2: hit you on the way.
0: Yeah, out. yeah, but yeah, that's basically what happened.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was just extremely unceremonious.
1: So, yep. without talking about future episodes too much, the way she explains where she was when she was talking to Wotan is very similar to the explanation for her departure. It's like, I'm going to see friends. Uh, You know, like, we don't get any nice moment. We can talk about that moment when we get there. I don't know. It don't feel good. I feel worse about it than some of the other companions' departures, which have been equally abrupt, but, you know, like, they at least telegraph it a bit better.
0: Yeah. Now she just gets put into a healing coma and sent away to die. Right, and then, like...
3: (sighs) Well, we'll get to it. I just, I just found it very unoriginal and extraordinarily abrupt. And I <laughs> guess like they were hoping that it's like, all right, now distract him with these two young people so that like you know, yeah, nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> That's just what it felt like. It's like they're, they're dummies. We'll just put y- other young people in there. Nobody's gonna care. And I guess they didn't.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, with all this, you know, realizing something's wrong at the lab and sorting out Dodo, after that's all done, the doctor and Sir Charles realize that Polly has left, and she soon arrives at Brett's lab. Out at the warehouse, completed War Machine 9 is tested out on a hypnotized worker. We get a hilarious ding. (laughs) As some smoke appears and the guy just falls over,
2: and then he ro- when he's rolling in front of the thing, <laughs> <Yeah>. I actually <laughs> thought
0: Favorite this was really hard. of the episode. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it is
3: dark, but <laughs> but at the same time that the the like the rolling him away like a rug, I I I, I, I lost it. I I'll admit it. See, I, I actually myself. I
1: actually found that to be. Maybe I just, like, took it a lot differently. I, I, I thought that was one of the more disturbing things. in the, Like, I did not find myself terribly menaced by this war machine. It looked kind of tanky.
2: It had a goofy face to yeah. with a kind of wide mouth. Yeah.
3: It probably didn't help that I was watching it at twice speed <laughs> when I think about it because that roll was awfully
1: fast. <laughs> but, I mean, like, this thing, aside from the fact that it kind of looked like a tank, it It didn't frighten me terribly much, but like rolling the body seemed like especially morbid, especially some guy you just like mind control into getting shot for your yeah
0: test,
3: yeah, that's true, like you would expe- i mean yeah, you would have expected them to like be like death bubbles the and like somebody comes over and picks him up, but no, nah, they just kind of roll him
1: away like a yeah.
0: like an old rug <laughs> like a burrito. <laughs> Yeah, because yes. you know, human life is meaningless to Votan. He
1: was not required.
5: <laughs>
0: so back at Sir Charles's office, Ben arrives looking for Polly, and the doctor says that she's gone missing. But Ben thinks that she probably just got, that she's probably quote just gone all snooty on him. The doctor thinks there's more going on here, and with the death of the homeless guy. So he enlists Ben to check out the neighborhood around the club, warning him that it might be dangerous. And Ben is just like, yeah, sure, doc, I'll do it. Later, Ben enters the warehouse as a War machine's karate chop action is tested. And he hides behind some boxes. But soon he finds himself in War machine threes. Or is it nines? Because it kind of changes. Uh, searchlights backed up against a wall and the episode ends as we move on to
1: the karate chop thing is pretty funny
3: yeah <laughs> yeah i mean especially given that like it's got guns <laughs> <laughs> like, what, like, it's got great it's got these apparently like really effective gun jammers and like deadly fog machines like i guess you know
1: it needs uh, to be able to survive melee
3: combat <laughs> right or like you know awkwardly chopped through tables or something. I mean, it's already, like, proved pretty capable of driving straight through wood. So, like, what what do you really need a hammer for? Yeah. It's just... I mean, like, we could take it to a darker place.
1: They definitely used that shot of it driving through the crates more than once, didn't they?
3: Oh, 100%. Yeah. Except, like, they would reverse it a little bit. I mean, we could go to a darker place with it because, like, you know, there aren't going to be a lot of humans that they need to, you know, get rid of, right? And... Mm-hmm. uh Don't want to waste the ammo, I guess is what I'm saying. Maybe that's what it's for.
0: Well, I mean, it uses some sort of smoke machine to kill people. So is there ammo?
1: I had been wondering (laughs) about the power source for this thing, too because, like, they established very clearly with the Daleks that they were running on, like, I don't know, uh, what was it, electrostatic energy or or something like that? Yeah, static
0: electricity. Yeah, they have to be on
3: the metal floor or whatever. So
1: it was like, okay, this thing clearly is more sophisticated, but it doesn't need some, like, umbilical or anything. So it must, I guess it has a car battery
0: or something. It runs off of Votan's own self-worth. So we move on to episode three.
4: You have been spared. Now you must work hard for the success of this great new cause. what cause? The victory of the war machines.
0: Ben makes a run for it, right into a clearly hypnotized Polly, and tries to get her to escape with him. Polly just bolts the exit and calls for help. Two men enter and grab him, and she returns to the warehouse, ignoring Ben's cries for her to get the doctor. Uh, major green is just going to have been executed but polly suggests to him that he should not be destroyed but instead used for labor thus is the will of votan
2: yeah i was i wrote in my notes that is this story kind of and i may be reading too much into it but it being the 60s that this is kind of like a communist allegory look how bad you know, somebody thinks they know the best and how everybody should act and behave. And
0: Very probably is.
2: Maybe I was reading too much into it, but that's what it struck me as.
0: No, a lot of people have had that reading for it as well. So I think you're probably pretty close to being on the money for that. Some of
1: the folks in our watch group was were, were suggesting a communist reading of this. So you're not alone.
0: Ben thanks her for saving him. And says that she had him fooled, but she just says that now he must work for the victory of the war machines. Musical sting! <laughs> Back at Sir Charles's place, the doctor's getting increasingly nervous as Ben hasn't returned. Uh, Charles supposes that he's just been distracted by something, as kids these days are, and, you know, everything's fine. He also says there's absolutely no evidence that anything's actually wrong. Besides, you know, this random girl who was, um, hypnotized, and this random guy who was murdered, but whatever. We just can't delay the computer system switching on based on, you know, nothing. Do you know what has happened to him? Answer!
5: He escaped. How do you know? I saw him.
0: You
4: saw him and you did not give the alarm? No. Why not?
5: I don't
4: know you are working for the machines you are an instrument only you have no friends
0: you have no will of your own he
5: was my friend
0: back at the warehouse green demands the workers work faster and that all humans who break down will be eliminated and as he says that he knocks somebody down and that guy gets rolled away by the war machine so ding for another human carpet Ben and Polly are moving boxes, and Polly's beginning to wear down, but she's still happy to work for the glory of the war machines. And things like that make me think, yeah, this is very much a communist uh, allegory here. Mm -hmm. After he learns from her that the attack is coming at noon the next day, Ben finds the opportunity to slip away as Polly watches and makes a run for it. After Ben escapes, a little bit later, Green questions Polly, demanding to know where he's gone, and she admits that she saw him escape, but didn't raise an alarm. He was my friend, and so Green sends her to Votan for punishment. So,
1: perhaps I just hadn't been paying close enough attention. It wasn't clear to me whether Polly actually was hypnotized, or if she was playing along, or... If she was hypnotized and the power of like friendship or love or whatever caused her to deviate from her programming or exactly what was going on. What what kind of read did you guys get?
0: Well, if cartoons have taught me anything, it's that friendship is magic. It's true. And that oh, no. uh, and that that's, you know, it's the power of friendship that helped did that. Or else maybe, you know, Polly is just too much of a cheeky girl to uh, be fully hypnotized who knows
3: yeah i mean i read it as your fairly standard like human nature compassion for a friend overcoming programming situation or something i don't know i feel like it's even if it weren't computers this has got to have been a trope by this point it's like snap out of it don't you see it's me and then like they save him
1: if, uh, if your ability to be hypnotized is, like, related to your cheekiness, then I guess, like, the doctor must be the cheekiest of all. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, we've learned that many times. I mean, that tracks. Yeah.
1: Ah.
4: ah. Is that you, minister? Yes, yes, it's very serious indeed. Some kind of killer machine, I'm told. It's like a tank. It has about 20 minutes with it. Yes, I should say this would call for firearms. Just as well to be prepared.
0: So Ben makes his way back to Sir Charles's office and he lets them know what's going on. Uh, Sir Charles is very skeptical about what this you know, delusional working class kid has to say. <laughs> but the doctor is fully on board. It fits in with all his suspicions because the doctor automatically thinks, yeah, crazy machine. After some convincing by the doctor, Sir Charles agrees to speak with the police commissioner, but Ben tells him that machine's going to make mincemeat out of the coppers in a matter of seconds. The doctor says that what they really need to do is strike at Votan, but Sir Charles says he's not willing to go that far, and he storms off saying he's going to handle this situation his way.
3: Charles in charge. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it did kind of surprise me how quickly charles gets on board with this because like in the previous scene he's unwilling to entertain the possibility now he's at least willing to make a phone call. yeah exactly well but a phone call from him is very powerful
0: before he goes off the doctor says the official mind can only take so much at a time dear boy and he and ben head off Sir Charles makes his phone call, and it seems that he contacted some sort of defense minister.
2: That phone call cracked me up. Just the. <laughs> what, what? Yes, what, what? Oh, yeah, just the way he was talking was so hilarious. It was so, <laughs> like, stereotype British gentleman, I don't know, cartoonish.
0: <laughs> Next scene, we see truckloads of soldiers arriving at the warehouse along with Sir Charles. The captain assures him that his boys can handle whatever's in there, and they send in Orange Patrol for some reconnaissance.
1: I was actually pretty impressed with this whole set piece, uh, actually. I mean, like, there are plenty of extras, you know, like, they all seem pretty well-equipped. I don't know. I thought uh, I thought we, we head into a... a- Pretty cool number of, of scenes here. A lot of fog. Also, by this by this time, I was 90% sure that Ben was a new companion.
0: <laughs> yep, you said that during the chat.
3: Oh, really? I did not get it yet. I did not get it yet. God, I'm stupid.
2: <laughs> i just based on screen time alone.
3: Yeah, well, I... I actually didn't even realize Dodo was gone for, like, at least a whole, like, I, I, I'm, I feel bad about this, and I'm not I'm not making a comment on her character so much as, like, I am, like, my powers of observation here, but, like, yeah, it was, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, like, at one point I was like, where is she? Oh, they're getting rid of her. Oh, I'm Yeah, really I, I think yeah. at the
1: beginning of the the next episode, I was like, has she been gone for an episode?
0: You did comment at one point, huh, I wonder if this was her week off.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh... Well, but we've seen that a few times, so it's not yeah. unprecedented. But I was... I don't know. We'll we will get to it. I, it's rude.
0: So, yeah. Inside the warehouse, Green orders the war machine to destroy the uh, intruders. And Orange Patrol finds that their weapons are suddenly useless. So I guess... Wotan has control over weapons somehow there's no real explanation for why they couldn't fire their guns (laughs) I mean it's
1: they're definitely all mechanical so I'm not quite sure what's in that gas
0: but yeah somehow by the way it's at this moment that the doctor arrives long after it took the entirety of the British army to arrive at this warehouse when he left before the phone call.
3: Well, I mean, he is kind of old, right? Yeah. Like, he was probably <laughs> sitting at a green light with his blinkers on for 20 minutes. <laughs>
0: well,
2: and as, as someone who's more familiar with the modern, it's always running. We're always running, all over the place, all the time, running, running, running. <laughs> oh, this There's is not, not a running doctor. Running. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. not a lot of running no. happening here. no.
3: No, the first doctor is very much a why-are-you-in-such-a-hurry kind of doctor. <laughs> thing. Is this a race?
2: <laughs> why the hurry to save the <laughs> earth?
0: Walk slowly this way. <laughs> laugh, laugh. <laughs> why run you when you can walk, D-Boy? <laughs> so inside, the soldiers are trying to escape, pursued by war machine. Ding for pretty much Orange Patrol. Yeah,
1: there were a lot of
0: guys. As the corporal reports that the machines have wiped them out. As War Machine 3 exits the warehouse, the soldiers outside fire on it, but again, the guns, they do nothing. Sir Charles grabs a loudspeaker... And orders everyone out of the warehouse. We have you surrounded, and absolutely no one listens to him. I
1: think even their grenades are not exploding. Yeah, not in charge.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um, the captain orders a full retreat, and uh, War Machine 3 continues coming toward them. Everybody runs except for the doctor, who stands up to the machine like a boss. And the episode ends.
3: Held down by the weight of his pendulous...
0: (laughs) Oh, damn it. I realize I can't say that. (laughs) Don't worry. I'll just bleep it.
3: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I mean, that was just some... That was pimp. He's even like shuffling forward a little bit to like get his stance. Like he knows how cool he is. Like it's just... oh. Oh, that was my favorite part.
0: I'm going to say right now... I am editing the celestial toy maker, not like right now while we're recording, but I'm editing that episode. And between you and Maggie, I have done so many bleeps. Oh, it is ret- I'm so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. That's so bad. <laughs>
3: but come on, that was so pimp. It
1: yeah, was great.
0: It
3: was. <laughs>
1: it was just standing there. Oh. I, what what I noticed um because sometimes you know like you'll see a photo and it'll have all of the doctors ever in a lineup the outfit that the doctor is wearing here is usually what he's wearing. he's got like kind of a funny yes. funny hat. brimless hat right and like kind of a cloak thing going on here when he stood up to the war machine I was like oh this must be his, like, iconic moment.
0: Mm-hmm. They they definitely like using that with his, you know... Yes. ...grabbing his lapels thing and staring down the machine as the episode ends and it moves toward him. But it
1: but it definitely <sighs> felt like an iconic Hartnell moment. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool. We'll talk about this as we go into episode four. The more I learn about it, the more foolhardy <laughs> it seems. Like... <laughs> He shouldn't have been able to know how that was gonna go, right? Yeah, and and maybe that makes it maybe that makes it cooler to you, Andy. I don't know.
3: I, I, yeah, I, yeah, because like I remember, I remember thinking, well, like it's just some big doctor energy, (laughs) right? Like, right, like, do you know what I mean? Like. Like I just remember thinking like, this is just this is, this is so good, right? Like we're going to going to find out later that he just he either knew something or he just didn't. Right. It's just <laughs> actually to me, it seemed perfectly appropriate for something for the doctor to do. Right. It's like doctor, either he has some yeah. hidden knowledge or he just doesn't care.
2: He doesn't give.
3: But we now S.
0: know
1: <laughs> that he just did not care
0: because we're up to you know doctor who story 20 something so very tired. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> well there's that. I
1: had <laughs> I had really expected him to have some shred of knowledge that the audience doesn't. <laughs> yeah. But but I and was surprised to find that he didn't. He just yeah. <laughs> is that much of a It was boss. just
3: yeah, just uh. Oh, I love that scene
4: minutes ago, the machine, which is now being described as the war machine, has been successfully put out of action. The city of London has responded with characteristic calm to the emergency.
0: So we go to episode four, and everyone's yelling at the doctor to run, but he stands firm, and the machine just rolls past him and comes to a stop. On a television, we have an actual BBC news presenter named Kenneth Kendall, who comes on the screen. And announces that the war machine has been successfully put out of action.
2: I did not realize that that was an actual yep. news presenter until you had it in your notes. But that must have been fairly unusual for the oh, yeah. time for some a real news person to show up on that TV show. But, like
1: you that. know, I really appreciate the context because knowing that adds something to it and knowing that the actress who played Polly, like, Anybody watching this serial should be like, oh, her, like that, that kind of changes the way you interpret it. I mean, like,
3: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just mean yeah, that like, she's a well-known it, it's actress, context. you know, like, right, right, exactly.
1: It's like when you're watching a television show and like uh, a character shows up, but it's played by, I don't know, George Clooney or somebody and you're like, oh, this is going to be an important character, not just some throwaway person with two lines because they actually like Fair. cast this person.
0: On Law and Order, you know that they're the
1: killer. Yes. <laughs>
0: Steve Buscemi shows up to deliver one line of dialogue. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the news presenter says that an emergency cabinet meeting has been called as further attacks are expected. And that everyone should stay indoors and continue acting with London's characteristic calm. How great would it be if they actually,
1: like, put this in the evening news? In a kind of a (laughs) war of the worlds type thing.
4: Exactly. And my guess is this was put into operation before it was ready, sir.
0: So outside the warehouse, the doctor is examining the war machine. And he explains, yeah, this thing stopped because it hasn't been completely programmed yet. Uh, The army attacked before the machines were ready. So, yeah... As you said, he knew nothing. He didn't know that that it was going to stop. The minister says that they have to find and destroy the other machines before they are completed.
1: At the same time, I guess in a way, if you look at, you know, what he's just said here, Orange Company didn't die for like completely nothing if they revealed that the war machine hadn't been completely programmed.
0: Elsewhere, War Machine 9 is activated. It's tested a bit, and it dings its mechanic.
3: I I really, I really enjoyed that.
0: (laughs) Whoops! Green and Brett back at the lab are just like, "Oh, well, that wasn't supposed to happen."
3: Oh, we should
1: revert that commit. Yeah, right. Like, ugh, roll it back, roll it back. (laughs) Git commit. Is this the one where it's like it needs slight adjustment? I seem to remember they're they're testing one at one point, and it's like, oh, that's a bit off.
3: Like, it just goes berserk and hits him with the hammer. And I was like, "Ah, oh, no, that's awful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Back with the war machine that they're playing with. Uh, Ben's concerned because while everyone else in the warehouse has been rounded up, there's no sign of Polly. The doctor, however, says we don't have time to worry about her at the moment and hands Ben his cloak. A key falls out of the cloak, and Ben pockets it. Totally missed that at the time.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Me too, yeah.
0: The doctor announces that he's decoded a bit of the program. There are 11 more machines within a 30-mile radius, and they are meant to attack at noon. The army has captured Major Green, and he's brought in for questioning. However, he's come out of his brainwashing, And he has no idea where he is or what's going on, so he's just taken away for medical attention. Um, Sir Charles is skeptical that, you know, he might not be telling the truth, but the doctor just brushes it off, saying that he's certain that he remembers nothing. Elsewhere, there's a man who tries to call the police reporting that another war machine is on the street, and oh my god, it's after me! And he gets dinged. In in the phone booth, I think. Yep.
2: There's a lot of phone-related content in this (laughs) uh, series.
0: (laughs) Phone content is the best content. (laughs) So Ben is still worried about Polly, and the doctor tells him that they can't solve this situation if they're only worried about one person. Ben comments to some soldier... Well, he looks like such a kind old bloke, don't he? That bird saved my life. The doctor says their only chance is to capture a machine and paralyze it, and he needs equipment to set up a powerful magnetic field in order to create a trap. Meanwhile, Polly arrives at Brett's lab and is told that her situation will be considered later, and, you know, we might kill you tomorrow, but for now she's enlisted to help out here. But
4: how do you connect the fourth cable? I shall connect the cable myself. Ah, that's
0: impossible. With the war machine
4: inside, you'll be killed. That is a risk we have to take. Well, a bit past that sort of lark, aren't you, Doctor? Hey, beg your pardon, young man. Well, I reckon that's the job for me, sir.
0: So the Doctor explains the plan he's come up with. They're going to form a four sided box of cables. Three of the cables are laid down, the machine is herded into it. And then the doctor is going to, you know, grab the end of the fourth cable, run, and uh, close the field behind it and switch the field on. Ben very rightly reminds him that he's a bit past being able to pull that off, Mm -hmm. and he volunteers to connect the cables. Side
3: note, this is where I finally realized (laughs) there was something special about Ben. Ben. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe not even until he actually runs across and like i'm like why are
2: they giving him that job oh. oh
3: and yeah that's not even when
2: while. he
1: found the key i, mi- I missed uh, i the didn't key. notice the yeah. key actually oh, i completely okay. missed
0: it yeah 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 so when it comes time to put this plan into action War machine nine pauses outside the box briefly but it soon enters and the plan goes off without a hitch. I thought
1: that was pretty cool. And it's like very clear from some of the shots in here that like this is a very different type of serial. I seem to remember like some shots from lower down, like kind of looking up at at strange angles. I I remember particularly the cinematography in this episode being different than a lot of the like more static shots we see. We also had outdoor shots. Uh, which are are pretty different for this show. The set piece where they were trapping him in the magnetic field was kind of fun that way because we were looking down this British street. I have no idea how they were able to clear this area
0: at midday. Uh Well, I'm not sure exactly when they would have been filming, so...
2: Could have still been a construction zone mm. from when they're building the tower.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know where they would have actually filmed that scene, but yeah, I mean, it could have just been a place that had um, that they could have blocked off easily, someplace out of the way, I don't know.
1: Major metropolitan city
0: during the day. But yeah, the doctor goes behind the machine, fiddles with some panels a bit, and turns it off. He reprograms it to target Votan and then has it released back in the wild in hopes that they can end this before the other machines are released at noon. When Ben hears the plan, he's worried that Polly might have been taken back to the post office tower where the machine is going, and he runs off to save her as the doctor tells him no and calls him a foolish boy.
1: I mean, he outruns a tank, so that's pretty impressive.
0: (laughs) As War Machine 9 enters the tower, it's about 11 minutes to noon. At around the same time, Ben bursts into, into Brett's office at the top. Polly refuses to leave with him, and Ben apologizes as he puts her into an arm block and pulls her out. Seconds later, uh, War Machine 9 enters. Crimpton attempts to get to its controls and is dinged in the ass. War Machine 9 <laughs> fires on Votan, and the computer explodes. Did
1: anybody else have, like, kind of RoboCop vibes? from You know, like, we got this, like, giant tank running around inside of, like, a high-rise building, just, like, killing dudes.
0: Oh, I thought that you were referring to the time when RoboCop shoots that guy in the... D- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Your move, creepy. <baby. laughs> Well, it's not only that, but, you know... (laughs) He does shoot him in the... (laughs) Ben gets to the building, (laughs) and he gets there just before War Machine 9. And I couldn't help but think the one stumbling block in the doctor's plan is sending, like, this tank-tread machine to a building that... I mean, like, I guess it has elevators, but... You know, like, you just see, like, this uh, war machine at the bottom of the stairs
0: sighing. (laughs) How many floors do I have to go up? I wish I were a dollar. (laughs) Everybody is freed from their hypnosis. The doctor declares that all the war machines are immobilized now because they're awaiting orders that'll never come. And he slips away as... Everybody is, you know, waking up from their hypnosis, making sure people are OK. So the doctor just Irish goodbyes his way out of there.
4: <laughs> she is well, I hope. She says she's feeling much better and she'd like to stay here in London and she sent you her love. Her love? There's gratitude for it. Take it all the way around the world, through space and time.
0: Later, the doctor is at the TARDIS waiting for Dodo. Ben and Polly come running toward him. They have a message from Dodo. Uh, she sends her love, but is going to stay in London. So basically they're like, don't worry, doctor. Dodo's okay. We just sent her to live on a farm in the country. She's not dead. <laughs> don't worry, doctor. Her so contract crazy. ran up. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, like they couldn't even get her to like record a vo like a a yeah. voiceover goodbye that he could read <laughs> off of a letter.
2: Or, yeah, a just letter. Nothing. Of- no.
3: Nope. Just like yeah, you know your old companions are your old companions gone. Where your new ones? Hey, what's up? You know? Yeah. Yep. She's dead. No, she's de- she's dead. <laughs> right? like,
1: just- it's almost like they make a little bit too much of it. like she's fine. She's just with family. Yeah. She just didn't want to see her ugly face again. I mean like the doctor is just as peeved about it as we are. Yeah. Like he, he is not like impressed by her though. love. <laughs>
3: right. He's like her love. She's where that yeah. figures. I and mean, that's it. That's like that's the extent of his emotions.
0: <laughs> you take someone around space and time and that's all the gratitude you get? Uh, I mean nothing. Never mind that whole space and time business thanks see you later gotta run things to do i
1: certainly hope that this is the most abrupt goodbye that we have because like oh absolutely after after several (laughs) of the others like i thought vicky's was bad i like vicky's vicky's hurt me um i i don't really miss dodo (laughs) because i was never terribly enamored with her character but like this didn't really sit well with me. I mean, they didn't eject her into space, at least. I mean, right? But that was at that least happened. pretty <laughs> fitting. Like that was that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um. I mean, it was brutal. Okay. It was memorable. Yeah.
3: No, you're right. It was metal.
1: Yeah.
2: But yeah, I'm used to I'm used to when companions change over. It's like a whole big.
3: Oh, summer child. Yeah, no, no, completely different situation. It's
2: such a different situation. Like people cry. Yeah. Everybody's
3: life is changed meaningfully for the better. Right. And this one, it's just nothing.
2: (laughs) Just later days, out you go.
0: Yeah, no. Dodo's departure is by far. The most random and abrupt Much like her introduction (laughs) And you know It fits photo, I guess Fair actually in a way
3: It is kind of symmetrical Because she's just like hey what's up I'm just this random person and I'm I'm here for a while now Hey there's a kid in trouble
1: That kid is dead
0: I will say this (laughs) is simultaneously The worst exit And my favorite Companion departure (laughs) Because it is just so ridiculous and because we finally get rid of dodo but <laughs> also because it is just so ridiculous and poorly handled it is hilarious
3: yeah it's it'll be interesting to see where they take ben and polly if like they try to you know spin up a new younger hipper you know ian and barbara or what
1: i'm i'm excited for for uh for polly and ben I was trying to think about our our companions because we've had multiple companions from the 60s now. Um, Ian and Barbara were from there. Susan is like 60s adjacent by way of, you know, aliens. We've had multiple companions now who are from the future. I think we've had one companion who is from Earth's past. Have we had more? Yeah, wasn't it? Cassandra was that. Her oh, it was Cassandra's Catarina. Um, yeah, she she was Katarina, with right. Cassandra at the temple.
3: Right, 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 right. And then she got ejected.
1: But yeah. <laughs> into space. Yep.
3: Which was awesome. It,
1: it, it's kind of interesting to have like after several companions from the future, I guess Dodo was from the sixties too. But it's it's interesting to see like we've come full circle here.
0: So basically what happens, they begin to walk off with Ben calling the doctor a miserable old something or another. But Polly's too busy watching him. She's sure that there's something up about that box. She watches him unlock it and enter. Ben remembers the key that he pocketed earlier, and they decide that they should give it back to him before uh, he returns to the barracks. So Polly unlocks the door and says, "'Come on!' to Ben to make him follow her inside." Moments later, the TARDIS vanishes, and the Doctor has kidnapped yet another group of humans—the very thing he was trying to avoid.
1: I do think it's kind of interesting that like Ben has this military training. I guess Ian—we knew from his past that Ian had some like military background, but like
0: Ben is active. Certainly, navy. a pretty strong
3: grasp of judo. Yeah,
0: yeah. Ben is definite—you know, navy guy. So yeah, that is our story. What are our reactions to it? Do we want to give it thumbs up, thumbs down, or meh? And I guess we'll start with uh, Bay this time. Um, I definitely want to give this one a thumbs up.
1: It's, It's kind of weird now being back in, I'm using quotes here, but like modern times. The audience watching would probably think it's pretty cool having the doctor running around London. I'm sure like the promos for this were crazy. You know, people coming out and trying to like catch a glimpse of um, some of the thoughts about how this was actually executed. Get get me going too. you know, like I I think it's pretty neat concept precursor to stuff like the Terminator or other science fiction franchises uh, with some of the ideas in here. I like our new characters as frustrated as I was with the handling of Dodo. I'm not that sorry to see her gone. I don't know. I thought it was cool. And if this is the shape of Doctor Who to come, especially with some of the like more risky artistic direction, you know, like interesting camera work, um, sound mixing uh, and visuals, um, sign me up. I guess I'd, I'd give it a thumbs up. All right, Andy, how about you? I
3: loved everything about this episode except that the titular war machines themselves. <laughs> like, that's like it. Like, what a terrible title. Because, like, they first, they suck, they don't do very much at all. <laughs> and s- second of all, like, they they should have been it should have been like Wotan's plan or if you know they're going to get a little bit more weird about it like you know the the ghost in the machine Ooh. or i don't know wow that was actually really good on the spot good job me anyway um <laughs> something like that but like instead it's just like his the the actual antagonists like prototype tools right and they're not even like very good yet it's like beta software stuff (laughs) Mm -hmm. but like the really interesting thing is like what happened like what how did wotan get so woke right or you know whatever and um i i that would have been pretty boss to see but even then like leaving it to the playground of the mind is fine so yeah just aside from the the actual war machines themselves i was like i was in it to win it and uh yeah thumbs up
0: stephanie how about you
2: uh i'm also a thumbs up It had the things that I am expecting when I hear a Doctor Who episode or I'm going to watch a Doctor Who episode. It had evil machines. We had fun shots around London. Companions. There was action. And so it it ticked all the boxes that I need when I want to watch a Doctor Who episode. So it was definitely a thumbs up. The Dodo thing was very strange to me, <laughs> how she was just gone. And I'm not familiar with that character, but I still thought it was really just weird. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, I thought it was a great episode. It was fun. Went by really fast. Four episodes went by really fast.
0: Yeah, I'm giving it a thumbs up, too. I mean, it's it's a classic episode. How could you not? I mean, yeah, it's it is a very modern feeling story. A lot of Doctor Who is a lot more like this episode than anything that we've seen before, <laughs> is best way to put it. So it's one of the more important stories that we've come across as well.
1: Stephanie, you mentioned the pacing, which I think we glossed over, but the pacing was pretty good, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. There
2: wasn't a lot of dead, just, I don't know.
0: You didn't have any ordeal episodes right. or anything.
1: Right. Filler.
0: Yeah. So our viewing numbers... Still not great. It's all about 5.3, 5.5 or so throughout the whole uh, serial. So that's about where we are now in terms of millions of viewers. I would have
1: expected that like this finale would have gotten
0: a bump. Not really. It's a bit better than the last one, but not by much. So our reactions at the time, it received plenty of praise for its contemporary nature so Anis Lloyd felt like, you know, yeah, I was proven right. Contemporary stories are the way to go. Uh, Doctor Who superfan Jeremy Bentham calls this the first story to aim at teens rather than at 11 year olds, which means that I guess he didn't watch the Crusades or some other things.
3: Yeah, Jeremy. What's <laughs> we're going to miss, j Dog.
1: I mean, there's been some pretty dark stuff that's happened. I know We've had like pogroms and stuff. Yeah,
0: Yeah. but yeah, by this point, BBC research had clearly indicated that the show had an older audience than the BBC had originally expected it to have. So some of the reviews that I've come across, the 1995 Discontinuity Guide calls it the first shaky step into the here and now. Um, About Time calls it an effective, creepy, contemporary bit of sci-fi. And Elizabeth Sandifer says that this is like nothing we've seen on the show before, but it's a style that will become very familiar for the next ever, really. Uh, She says one of the drawbacks of this story is that William Hartnell's style as the Doctor doesn't really fit the contemporary thriller style all that well. Uh, It is filled with his two biggest acting weaknesses— technobabble and physical action and since you know he doesn't fit as well here as he does in the other stories that we've seen except for a couple moments which doesn't bode very well for his future Mm. so the modern consensus that we have with our polls in the 2008 one this was number 108 out of 200 and in 2013, it was 133 out of 241.
1: I'm surprised it wasn't higher.
0: Yeah, I think it should be. Well, I think
3: yeah, it's probably like modern audiences too, and not like really fully appreciating like because we have the ben- We I guess we kind of have like the benefit of deliberately approaching it from kind of like a historical perspective and recognizing like the importance of it as yeah. like a trendsetter. So yeah, I would I would rank it much higher than that just by virtue of the fact that it's like it feels like the beginning of like a more modern. Doctor Who that we have come to today.
2: Especially with Bay's point that what he's wearing and the visuals were are kind of iconic for his doctor. Like when you think of him, you think of him wearing that outfit.
5: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: So it, it seems like it made, like maybe it was more, but I guess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, so some positives that get pointed to. William Hartnell's performance is great, even if he does feel out of place in the modern setting. And the new companions get a lot of praise. Uh, A working class companion like Ben adds, you know, something different to the show. And Annika Wills is, quote, magnetically charismatic as Polly. Though she can be harshly sarcastic and matter of fact, much like Annika Wills herself. But yeah, ultimately, yeah, it's true. They do a better job at exemplifying British youth culture and generally fitting into the show than Dodo ever did.
1: They they seem like pretty instantly likable. Um and I'm I'm getting more intelligence and action from Ben than I did from Steven.
3: And their chemistry is yeah, better. For absolutely.
1: Sure. I didn't get like, a chemistry between abso- like immediately. Yeah, well, between Steven and Dodo, I just I didn't see it. Maybe Steven and Vicky.
3: Yeah, well, that was taken from us far too soon. <laughs>
0: But yeah, these characters are given more personality and you know character traits than Dodo ever was, and we've only seen them for one story. Uh, some negatives that get pointed to: the worst companion send-off, of course. Although do- all the about time books do say Dodo's sudden disappearance is more of a mercy than a failing. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> it's rough. God. Everybody hates Dodo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Another negative, the war machines are very dull and boxy. And with only one war machine, it's not as big of a story as you'd expect from something that's meant to be an action thriller, since you only have this one machine wandering around. Do any
1: of your sources say anything about, like, what happened to this? I don't know. Yeah, no, I not see anything about...
0: <laughs> I didn't see anything about what they did with the war machine afterwards. Like, I
3: I remember thinking also, like, God, they're not intimidating. It's like a really big battle bot,
0: you know, (laughs) or something like that. It it has a face. It
2: has has a face. I, that, the, the big mouth and the little
3: eyes. Who would be scared of something, though, with a procession speed like that? Like, it's just like you just have to walk briskly, and there's no way it'll ever even <laughs> catch up to you. Like, to shoot, just walk in a circle. Yep. Like, it can't shoot you. Just don't walk fast enough that you loop around. Like, I mean, that's just like, I don't know. I wasn't scared of them at all. Uh, <laughs> they're the worst war machines.
2: <laughs> they had sort it's of a, a
0: friendly face.
3: <laughs> and they could have taken that someplace, too. It's like, hello. Yeah. You know, that would have been great. Nope.
0: So, um, impact of this story. This is very much the template for the next decade of Doctor Who and beyond. And it has more in common with the modern Doctor Who series than anything we've seen before. Okay, that's
1: exciting. That's exciting to hear.
0: And a lot of people will say that The Savages, our last story, was basically the end of Doctor Who and this is sort of the beginning of a brand new show, also called Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is pretty much the end of the show as it was originally conceived. Um, it's also the end of the really ambitious era of the show with lots of strange stories. And just, you know, like, we're not going to really have Zarbie anymore, stuff like that.
1: Am I supposed to be upset about this? The Zarby, <laughs> the, I, I'm not going to shed any tear over the Zarbi. But I, I don't know, like, I, I saw a lot of ambition in this episode. Well, the
0: thing is, Ennis Lloyd is going to start to sort of create a standard Doctor Who formula where, you know, we'll still get lots of odd settings, weird aliens, and they'll definitely be the occasional weird out there episode. But we do see plenty of tropes here that will become standard Doctor Who tropes. Like you have Mm -hmm. man-made project that threatens the world. You have the authority figure (laughs) who refuses to believe that there's a threat. You have soldiers fighting monsters in England. Basically what you need here is um, just those monsters attacking a base that all of the characters are inside trying to defend... And you have most of the rest of the 60s worth of stories. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm both... That does make me a little I'm, sad. I'm excited, <laughs> but It'll also sad.
0: Yeah. It, it It is... You have the Doctor Who formula or the basis of the base under siege story type, which we'll see multiple times in the coming seasons. Uh, so with the characters here, with Jackie Lane... Um, Our actress who played Dodo. She had a 19 episode contract and it wasn't extended beyond that, which is why she disappears halfway through the story. Lloyd sent her an apology letter after her contract wasn't renewed, wishing her well and telling her that it wasn't her performance. She was just the victim of backstage circumstances.
3: Ugh. That's got to be a rough one to receive, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Jerry Davis has said that part of the problem was that the camera easily picked up that she was not the teenager that she was being portrayed as.
3: I mean, that's not that harsh, right? Like how old, <laughs> how old was she when she was filming? She was right? in like- her
0: mid to late twenties. Yeah. Not a teenager.
3: Right. And like it's not like he's saying she's old. It's just like I just mean to say if if she were a dude I don't know. Like I to me that's not that I mean, teenagers they look really young and like she looked like but she didn't look like old or anything. She just didn't look like she was like callow, right? She you know, she did look like she was in her twenties. Yeah, most of her most of her youth sixteen
1: really came from the cropped haircut, I think. Like that look right
3: right i mean like i just i mean like to be honest i i often forgot she was supposed to be a teenager and i just thought she was like just some quirky person that you know happened to walk in which basically she was so yeah but i don't i I still think that's a really shitty reason to like get rid of her yeah and like maybe a lie i think she was the victim of really poor writing
2: right it was a it's not you it's me yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Right. It's like,
3: oh, how satisfying. Boy, I can go on.
1: They wrote an irritating character that the doctor did not get along particularly well with and then were upset that it didn't work out.
0: Well, you know, I think that she was exactly what John Wiles wanted her to be, but was not what Innes Lloyd wanted a companion to be.
3: Okay. Yeah, fair enough.
0: So, yeah. Um. But Jackie Lane... Uh, this was actually her last role on television. Mm. After this, she gave up acting soon after this and would do various jobs for a while. She was the secretary to the Australian Vice Council in Paris. After that, she started an antiques business, and in the end, she became a um, agent focused on voiceover actors and would represent future Doctor Who actors, Tom Baker and Nicholas Courtney, two pretty oh, big cool. names for the show. And um, she died not too long ago in June 2021. Up until that point, she had been the only surviving main Doctor Who cast member to not revise her role for the Big Finish Audios.
1: Mm. Mm. That's, that's so weird seeing as she was like <laughs> representing voice actors. Oh, well.
0: Yeah. but yeah, she just wasn't interested in going back to acting.
1: Shawnee, g- g- like, give me something good, you know? Like, is had have have opinions kind of turned the corner on her? Like, did is, did, is she somebody's fan favorite?
0: Uh, no, I think that uh, the 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 typical the best review of her that I could find is she's a bit of a dud. so and the worst review that i could find on her is probably mine because whenever somebody asks me at a convention so who is your least favorite doctor who companion my go-to answer is dodo oh my god there are doctor who companions who are more annoying there are ones who who are less likable even than dodo but I don't think there's a Doctor Who companion who's as pointless as Dodo. Hmm. Oh, <laughs>
3: that's right. I think that's probably fair, and that's unfortunate. But I
0: think you're right. Yeah. Does anybody else want to share an opinion on Dodo? <laughs> I
2: mean, I don't. She was. I'm not familiar with her, but she was pretty flat as a character in these series. So I, I guess I see where. It wasn't working.
1: Really. I like her as like a, a villain. I actually, my favorite performance by her was in the last episode she was in, which is sad mm-hmm. to say. I don't know. I Every time we, we lose a companion, I feel like it's a eulogy. Like we're pouring one out for her. And I, I, I don't know. I just kind of felt like we should say something. and And, you <laughs> know, like maybe something positive. I don't like to go to somebody's... Dodo Funeral was a dragon
3: companion. You know,
1: she like,
0: existed. They have come to bury Dodo, not to praise her. Uh, apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, she did appear in some books that take place between the savages and this story. And there are two versions of what happened to Dodo in these books. In the first happy version, Dodo becomes a secretary and is bored. That is the happy version of her life. In the second version, at some point after the savages, she meets space Marquis de Sade and gets a space STD. And then she ends up back here on Earth. She has psychiatric problems from her hypnosis, spends most of the rest of her life in a mental hospital, ends up getting out, and is murdered by a mind-controlled time traveler soon after learning that she's pregnant.
1: Oh my god.
3: Okay, is this a, like one of those like reverse Mary Sue <laughs> Usenet things, right?
1: Like one of these like, you know, This is like,
0: any e- th- these these are two separate officially published <laughs> novels. Shawnee, what?
1: I know that you don't like the character where
0: she gets space herpes and dies. I know you
1: don't like the character, but even you have to admit that this is like not right. Yeah, it's a that little does extreme. Her
3: dirty. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, that du- that does dodo do dirty.
0: <laughs> it's a little sorry. extreme, yeah. Something else that should probably be noted with this story is the relationship between new companion Annika Wills and William Hartnell. And that is the two get along about as well as William Hartnell yeah. and John Wilde. Oh, <gasps> They Ooh. they do oh. not like each other at all. Oh no!
1: Oh,
3: that's that's awesome. But like
1: Hartnell, de- Hartnell gets along pretty well with like his female co-stars. Usually not
0: at this point. Oh, that's so sad. Annika Wills um, is very active, as I said, on the convention circuit. And so
1: she's probably <gasps> a big reason for his bad reputation.
0: She has absolutely no trouble speaking her mind. And she's had plenty to say about Hartnell over the years. (laughs) She credits herself as the first person at conventions to readily admit that he was, quote, a miserable bugger.
3: That's not very (laughs) nice. That is a not very nice thing to say. Wow. Oh, the drama.
0: She describes herself as, quote, a total lefty. And says that she found Hartnell to be less than tolerant towards, well, most people.
1: Okay, I can imagine. I can kind of imagine that.
0: (laughs) She says that he was very short-tempered and would lose it over the most ridiculous things. And that everyone tread very lightly around him and that they were all terrified of him. So this led to a not very creative atmosphere
2: toxic work
0: environment (laughs) at one point she says that early on she made the egregious error of sitting in his chair despite the fact that it had his name on it and he went found you know a staff member to tell her off so she responded by getting her own chair and putting Annika, Wills, and anybody else who would like to sit down on it. (laughs) Okay, but that's just a good story. (laughs) Okay, that's... Now, she has softened her stance a bit over time, saying that she's decided there's enough negativity in the world without her contributing to it, and she's willing to consider the fact that at this time he wasn't doing very well, And that, you know, he was probably much worse off now than he had been in the Mm. past. But at the time, she and him did not get along together at all. So, yeah. Um, And I guess the only thing that I've got to say, uh, we'll be moving on to season four in the near future. We're going to have our season three wrap up next episode. And I mentioned season four is the most missing season with only 10 episodes in existence and zero completely existent serials. This is also the only complete Ben and Polly story because of that.
3: Oh, brutal.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Luckily, as I said, most of the season has been animated at this point. So we only have a handful that we'll need to watch in still reconstruction form. So, yeah, there's are that these, at least. Are
1: these official
0: version? Yes, these are the official BBC cool. animations. Oh, cool. But next time we'll be watching a completely missing story that involves pirates. So there you go. It's a pirate story next. Uh, so I think that's about all we have for this uh, episode. So I'd like to thank Stephanie for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was fun.
3: Well, thank you for joining us, everyone. And we hope to see you next
1: season.
0: Very well. Please, you know, join our Facebook group. uh, Communicate with us on Twitter. Subscribe, rate, share. And for now, just remember, Doctor Who is required. Good night, everybody.